Hi, this is Raviv Ullman. I'm very excited to be here. The last thing that I prayed for was the return of musical theater. Hey, it's Jess. My co-host is JC, and this is Pray For Us, a podcast about practicing an ancient religion in the modern day. We're talking about how we observe Judaism when it comes to holidays, relationships, food, and everything in between. Today, we're talking to Raviv Ullman. Raviv is an actor, musician, and co-host of the new podcast, The Study. Raviv, thanks for being with us today. We're so excited to chat with you. I am so excited to be here. I'm I'm a fan of the show, so this is really a, an honor. That just made my like heart skip a beat. I'm so excited. <laughs> Me too. So let's start from the beginning. You were born in Israel and then moved to the States when you were pretty young, right? Yeah, I um, was born on Kibbutz Yahel, which is like 45 minutes north of Eilat, um, which now is kind of like a of Vegas in the middle of the desert. Um, but when I was born there, a lot was kind of, there was not much there. Um, and our kibbutz was a, a dairy and date farm and lots of cows and date trees. And then it was like a, uh, one of, I think it was the first, if not one of the first reform kibbutzim. Um, and then I left when, when my family, I guess we left when I was two and moved to Connecticut wow. because both sets of grandparents were there. So kind of the whole familial structure was, was set up in Connecticut. Um, and, and then for most of my life until I was, I guess, 17, I grew up in Connecticut in Fairfield, Connecticut and went to a Hebrew day school and Hillel, Hillel Academy in Fairfield. And then, uh, went to public school after that. Wow. Can you explain for someone who is not familiar with the concept, what is a kibbutz? A kibbutz is basically a uh, a commune. Um, it's uh, it, it really is a commune. Now, now I think a lot of them are privatized. But at the time, you didn't make money for living there. You everybody had responsibilities. All the kids were kind of raised together. I think there are some kibbutzim that have that like everybody lives together. But uh, at least on Yahel, each family had their own little min miniature house. Yeah, it's a commune. It's like a hippie commune, it, but for Jews in in the desert, although they're spread all over Israel. And so a lot of them are up in the north and Israel's I mean, the topography and geography of Israel is kind of incredible because in the north you have like basically rainforests and mountains and it's very lush and green. And then just a few hours south uh, is the Negev Desert where I was born, which is like straight up flat desert. So they're all over the place. But yeah, the, the, a lot of them are, are based around some kind of Jewish life, but also around far, a lot of farming. Um, and yeah, and I think that kind of stuck with me. I think I glorify and like have this fantasy of moving back to some kind of communal living space, especially now in the middle of a pandemic. It feels like a, a commune would be would be the right way to build a pod, especially with uh, totally all the dates, because I'm obsessed with dates. They're my favorite snack, especially in like Israel or if you get dates from Egypt. Obviously, yeah, those dates are. are Tasty. 100%. Mm -hmm. um, did yeah. you, as you were growing up, did you ever go back to visit uh, Israel or your kibbutzim? Yeah, I I went back um, 
it's been a really long time since I've been back, but I, I guess the last time I was there was maybe 10 years ago. I have a lot of family spread out. My, I have a grandmother in Tel Aviv and I have cousins all over Israel. And yeah, it's been a while. And we didn't go a lot growing up, um, I think partially just because of budgetary issues. But, um, but yeah, I was there 10 years ago. It's time. It's time to go back. Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, Tel Aviv is amazing and the traveling around the country is uh, something special for sure. Yeah, it's wonderful there. What about you guys? Have you you guys have both been? Yeah, I went on birthright, but I would love to go back and take my time and get to choose how I spend my time and where I visit. But I, I really liked it. But I'm definitely not one of those Jews who's like obsessed with Israel and feels like this deep connection. But I did think it was like a wonderful country and it was really fun. And there's like a very rich culture. Yeah. I also, yeah, I've been to Israel, but I did not go on birthright. I've applied several times and somehow I've always been rejected. I don't know if it's because my last name <laughs> sounds very Italian or if my dates just didn't line up with like, you know, what. Now, isn't there, because I didn't go to, I didn't go on um, birthright either, but now I feel like people our age go on rea the reality Israel trip which is like yeah. for adults. They have that trip for adults. And then I also know that if you are in an interfaith marriage, once you get married, you can go with your spouse for free to Israel as well. Oh. And I'm currently dating someone that's not Jewish. So I'm kind of like, maybe I'll go back if we get married. Um, but I... That's a good yeah, incentive. Right? But I did... To get married. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but I did go to Israel with my family for one of my cousin's bar mitzvahs who had his bar mitzvah at the wall. And we had like a private and we had our own bus and we went like all around to Spot and Akko and uh, the Golan Heights, Tel Aviv, Jerusalem. And it was August and it was like 120 degrees. So it was wonderful, but I would like to go back when it's less hot for sure. Fair enough. JC, you and I have been talking about this a lot. I feel like there is a big distinction between Jewish people and Israeli people. And like a lot of times politically that gets confused. Do you agree with that? Because it's not only Jewish people in Israel, right? It, I mean, it's definitely not only Jewish people in Israel. It is a Jewish state. So I guess there is there is a lot of confusion around that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I always feel like I need to deeply further my education on Middle East politics because it is something that is so fraught and so confusing that I never feel quite up to the task to like, get into the debate. But I'm happy to go on record saying that I I like I believe in Israel's right to defend itself like any other country. And sure. I get really confused by Americans who point to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and state of affairs there and not take a deeper look at our own politics here in America. Um, mm hmm I don't know. I feel like somebody who points to Israel and gets really angry what's happening there, but is fine with what our country does to Native American cultures is a little confusing. And I don't think that it excuses anything, but um, I would just ask people to take a look at their their own space and what land they live on. Because I do think that if you're I, I think that if you are not taking a deeper look at what America does, but pointing to Israel as a state of, of a place that's that's where crimes are being committed, then that that leans over into anti-Semitic uh, rhetoric mm -hmm. um, because you're kind of picking and choosing what it is, okay, like who, who is okay to colonize and who is not. Yeah. 
I totally if that agree. makes any sense. Does that answer your question? No. Or just did I just dive yeah. into Israeli <laughs> of course, politics? Before we started the podcast, Jess was like, we're keeping it light. Um, but so, <laughs> let's go back to Connecticut for a second. Um <laughs> while you were where it's very peaceful. <laughs> yeah, very while peaceful. you were growing up uh in America, what was your religious upbringing life? I know I listened to some of your podcasts. I know you had regular Shabbat, but what what how did that manifest in your family? What did that look like? Yeah, my parents grew up very differently in Judaism. My dad grew up reform. My mom grew up in an Orthodox household, and and it's her father who was the rabbi, Orthodox rabbi, modern modern Orthodox rabbi in Stanford, Connecticut. And my parents kind of met in the middle for something that they called conservadox. Um, so we went to a conservative shul, and definitely we had Shabbat every Friday night. A very culturally Jewish, um, but religiously too. I mean, I grew up from nursery until fifth grade, I guess, until middle school. I was in an Orthodox Hebrew day school. We didn't, we used electricity, we drove, but like we wouldn't go to the mall on Shabbat. We'd go to the beach instead. Um, mm -hmm. So we weren't religious to a, uh, to like to, to an Orthodox place where we wouldn't use, yeah, you'd use electricity and all that and only walk, but, but we observed, we were like observant Jews, I suppose. Um, but a lot of it was based in co like community. A lot of it was about getting the family together and about being at a table together and having holidays to celebrate together. It was, it really felt like we were using it as a tool to 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 keep our to hold our family together. Not that we had a problem doing so, but it was a good excuse. It's like going to Israel is an excuse to get married. Exactly. Uh, using the Jewish <laughs> holidays an excuse to get around the dinner table. No, I love that. Did you continue to observe Shabbat throughout your childhood and still today, or did it kind of? taper off as you got older? It definitely tapered off as soon as I left. So I left uh, Connecticut, living at home, going to, going to high school, and went to Los Angeles to start working and kind of stopped like cold turkey. I think it was the Israel trip 10 years ago when I traveled around and visited family. I'd been like slowly starting to, I like began my, my adult version of seeking in life and looking for some kind of grounded something and community and building community. And I kind of, there was like a light bulb that went off when I was in Israel. I was like, oh, right. Shabbat is again, going back to that thing of like, a, it's a tool and we can use it with people that aren't Jewish as well. And uh, I always lived in houses. I was living in Los Angeles and we had our own little version of a kibbutz. We'd basically like, you know, we'd rent a big house, a bunch of friends <laughs> and have like seven people living in a house together Frat house kibbutz. Um, in our <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're basically the same thing. And <laughs> and so I started doing Shabbat dinners at those houses. And we kind of had an open, like, anybody is welcome on Friday night, bring a bottle of wine, we'll just cook a big dinner. And and that was like my first foray back into Shabbat. And I've basically kept that going. I lived in New York for uh, almost 10 years before I just recently moved back to Los Angeles. And that was really hard to keep Shabbat going, especially in big groups, because you can't fit a big group of people into New York apartments. Nope. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. Any friend who had a, a large living room, we would utilize for that. But but basically, as soon as I got back to L.A., I had a lot of friends who we had all grown up in our early 20s doing this sh doing Shabbats together. Um, and I brought that back as soon as I as I was back. And so, uh, yeah. And so we we hopped back into doing Shabbats. Um, my family definitely still you know, gets together for holidays. Uh, but it was really fun to to host Shabbats for friends from all different kinds of backgrounds. Yeah. I started doing Devar Torahs, like really small Devar Torahs, um, just kind of taking the 
weekly Torah portion and being like, okay, what is, what, is there a lesson in here that we can use today? Um, how do we apply this ancient teaching to uh, whatever is craziness is happening in the world? And it was kind of a jumping off place to be in conversations. And that was really interesting. And that eventually became the, the podcast that I've been working on. Right. And at, when everything went to Zoom and the pandemic hit, uh, we, we kind of kept that going, kept Shabbats, Zoom Shabbats going for a long time. And I think people, it was really a nice way to uh, differentiate time. Mm. It was a nice way to elevate time. Time kind of <laughs> was the same thing for you guys, but time like disappeared. Mm. The, the idea of time kind of flew out the window. And so once a week, we like, my girlfriend and I like set a nice table and lit candles and I baked a challah and it was really like a became a really nice ritual. And there's so many beautiful things in Judaism about rituals yeah. that I that I find comfort mm -hmm. like I find comfort in ritual. And I mm -hmm. often run away from that kind of comfort and want to just travel and run around and do my own thing. But um there's something really grounding about it. And it was nice to see that I had a lot of friends who who again, even when we went to Zoom, we would have like, you know, 20 people come because I think people were just looking for some kind of some kind of something. Yeah. And mm -hmm. Shabbat was one of those things that offered something and let us kind of project onto it what we wanted. Yeah. It's like, I feel like we were all craving connection at the beginning of quarantine or sheltering in place. But also I think as you, you know, leave home and grow up, you and are starting your own sort of life. Religion yeah. can be really comforting in that respect because it gives you a little bit of familiarity and routine. Yeah. And I, I think that you can, like, I don't even know what my relationship to God is. I'm, I think that's something that I am always questioning and sometimes actively seeking and sometimes mm -hmm. actively not seeking. But practicing the ritual is something that brought connection to our community. And we were able to connect people from across the country. And like I, I find comfort in, in the ritual itself and the rest of it and the lessons and the religious sense is something that sometimes peeps out and and provide something and, and sometimes doesn't. Yeah, that's something that actually comes up a lot on this podcast is whether uh, us as Jews find comfort in like God as a being or find comfort in like the practices, the traditions, the culture around everything that we do and the stuff that brings us together. But I, I have a question about when you first moved out to LA and you stopped cold turkey for a little bit. Do you think that that was because you were still just finding your community, finding your friends out here? Or was it something deeper that you just weren't sure how to like express your Judaism upon moving out here or like? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think it was a little bit of everything. I think I was a teenager and I was always living by myself. And I was like, I don't have to do anything that my parents <laughs> told me to do growing up. I get to do whatever I want. So I didn't go to college. But for those who did, if you didn't find yourself immediately in like a Hillel or Chabad program, there's you're really young and you're like, oh, is this embarrassing to be practicing something that is, you know, I, I was meeting friends who weren't religious at all and definitely weren't Jewish. And like, okay, well, I'm going to be embarrassed if I do this thing. Later on in life, I realized that they were all really attracted to that thing. And if I had just done it, would have, could have built community around right. it. But, you know, you don't know that. Um, and, and some of it was like needing to, you know, we go through this period probably in our early 20s. And I think it also really hits in your late 20s when you realize like, oh, I've been growing up thinking that I'm supposed to do everything that my parents set out for me. And then you look at what they did and how they practice it. And you're like, you guys didn't do anything that your parents did. You <laughs> totally recreated your own lives. Like, like, yes, you took pieces, but you were not following the rules that your parents set out. And now it's my time to do that too. And I think in order to do that, you need to like 
take a dunk in cold water and refresh and be like, okay, what are the things that I'm most attracted to? Did I know this at 17 that that's what I was trying to do? Absolutely not. I was being a teenager and being like, I'm going to do what I want. But now looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, that's what that was. It was this refresher moment where I took a deep breath and, and saw if, if religion at all was something that was for me. And it turns out that there are aspects of it that definitely are and aspects that, that you know, are. I was going to ask, just to go back to you moving to LA, you moved because you, was it because you had gotten a role or can you kind of like walk us through that period of your life professionally? Yeah, absolutely. I So yeah, I was going to public high school in Fairfield. At the time I was in, I was a junior in high school and I was dancing a lot. I went to Devalda's Sirico dance and I, w- I was doing 12 classes a week. Wow. Uh, like straight from high school to the studio and doing like jazz tap, uh, ballet, lyrical, like all, everything. And for some reason at the time, that was my focus. And <laughs> I really thought that I was going to be uh, fully a theater actor. I grew up loving theater. Like as an audience member, that was my first love. As an actor, the stage was my first love. And my goal was to like be able to sing and dance and be in the ensemble in a Broadway show. And then, but I was auditioning all the time. I had a manager in the city and booked this show seemingly out of nowhere, Phil of the Future, which was on Disney. And that moved me to LA when I was 17 to start that. And so I went from really living like, you know, my mom doing my laundry and like fully living <laughs> as a teenager to, to yeah, being like a working actor in Los Angeles. And it was definitely a bit of a mind fuck just because it was you know a full 180 from how i had been living but i had family that came out i had a cousin that came out and like an older cousin that lived with me for a while and then my grandparents came out for a couple months and lived with me and my parents would take turns until i was 18 and then i found uh, a roommate and started that life but yeah it was it was it was a wild time. I, I, it felt like it was everything that I had been working towards since I was little. I started acting professionally when I was nine. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, I, it's, it's hard to look back and understand like what that time was because, because it was so mm-hmm. different than what I'd been living. But I loved every second of it. I mean, I was so happy to be in LA. I was so happy to be a working actor. I loved everyone that worked on that show. And, and then that just kept going. So I thought that I would do that show and then go to college, but I, I kept working on different shows after that. And, and realized also that if I went to college, I wanted to study something specific. I just didn't want to go for the college experience. Like what um, I did at yeah. that time. <laughs> Is that how you did? What did you What did you study? I studied uh, communications and marketing, and I had a minor in Spanish. So I was really just all just over the going. place, kind of there for the experience. Want yeah, just wanted to go yeah. abroad to Spain. I just wanted to do all the college things. Do you feel like you, it feels to me like you're using communications and marketing and all that now. I mean, you're, yeah, you're I think, working in the industry and you're hosting a podcast. And I think absolutely to an extent, I certainly use my education in like my everyday life. That being said, I do think I could have done most of this without getting a degree in communications. Depends how you look at it. but did you go to spain at least i did i lived in spain for six months it was incredible oh fantastic couldn't have done that without college so thank you syracuse university but and you speak spanish now right well i understand (laughs) spanish my accent is abysmal and i don't i wouldn't say that i speak it fluently but maybe like moderately conversationally but barely i feel like i try and justify my degree which was in journalism and i'm guess i'm using it now but if i had known what I wanted to do when I was a teenager and I was already working, I probably wouldn't have gone to college. I didn't figure that out until much later. I feel like that's uh, so many of my friends or people that I knew in school 
they were searching for what it was that they wanted to do, what they wanted to be when they grew up. And at the time, I wasn't. I knew I wanted to act. I knew I wanted to be in the industry. I was really fascinated with cinematography and directing. And so I wasn't going to go to do that seeking because I felt like I knew. Um, now there's all kinds of things that I would want to go study, but but I haven't done it yet. I was just curious about your switch from your initial stage name back to Revive, or whose idea was that and when that happened? Yeah, I think it's it was it was just trying to be smart in my career move to, to keep changing my name because that's really helpful. Um, <laughs> I grew up, uh, my it was a manager uh, who is t- still my manager to this day. When I was young, she'd be sending me out on auditions and I wouldn't even get in the door because I looked like an all-American kid. But the casting directors wouldn't see me because they saw Revive on a sheet and they're like, nope, too ethnic. And so she's like, we need a name that at least gets you into the door. And so I changed my name to Ricky just to be generic. And then the first role that I got was this terrible, terrible independent movie called Crossfire, which is like a bad action movie to play Aziz, the young uh, Muslim boy. And so that went out the window (laughs) immediately. Then I kept Ricky because it was working and I was getting in the room and I was doing bits, bit, you know, roles in TV movies and whatnot. And then when I started with Disney, we kind of like slightly broached the topic with them of changing back. And they're like, yeah, just keep it. And I didn't fight it at all. And then by the end of that, I had achieved some kind of notoriety. And it was really weird to me because all of my friends, anybody that I worked with, my family, like nobody that knew me called me Ricky ever, not anyone on set, like nobody. I made it very mm-hmm. clear that Revive was my name. So if somebody called my Ricky, I knew that they didn't know me at all. Or somebody would find my home phone in Connecticut and call my parents and ask to speak to their friend Ricky. It's like we knew that that wasn't real. Um, and so it was weird to to not have ownership over, not feel as much ownership, like seeing Ricky Ullman on the screen. I was proud to be a part of a project, but it, there was still kind of some sense of of different, differentiation. And I wanted that. I wanted to, to yeah, see my name. On on, on the big screen, on the silver screen. <laughs> oh, um, and the and times have changed because now, uh, I mean, not a bunch of, there's one woman in particular that I know who is extremely white, like the whitest girl I've ever met. And she just changed her last name to, what did she change it to? I think mm-hmm. Rodriguez, like even though she's like not Spanish at all, which is. <laughs> that sounds yeah, problematic. Extremely problematic. I know a couple people. Do you? That's crazy. It's I just, think it's, yeah, like the pendulum is swinging the opposite Which direction. is fantastic. Very I mean, I love so. to see that pendulum yeah. swing. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you get to use your real name and be proud of, you know, your heritage now. But it's just wild to me that not so long ago, we were all just looking for the generic white boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that long ago mm-hmm. at all. It's fine because after I changed my name back to Revive, I barely worked again. So, uh, <laughs> you know, what what can you do? But you got into music, right? Like once the show ended or once Phil of the Future ended, right? Yeah, or... yeah so I, I, so I'm a drummer. I played drums in middle school. I played drums in high school band. I, I always loved percussion and drumming. It was just fun. So I was always in some kind of musical outfit. And at some point after, after that show, I was buddies with this guy, Doug Smith, who I'm still friends with. He's still doing a lot of great acting work out there. And he and I just started playing music together. And that became a band that we toured for a while. We were on tour with uh, Soko, who's a French singer-songwriter. And she ended up bringing us on as her backup band. And then we became her backup band for a while. And I toured with her for a while. Um, and then I just kind of kept jumping bands every once in a while and played with with different people. And then, and then I think the last... I was on tour, I was touring with a couple different bands and we were in Europe and I was actually in London for a show 
and I had like the day off and the rest of the band was in the studio and writing music. And I decided to go see a play. And I was like, you know what? I think maybe my interests are actually in theater. Not, I don't really want to be on tour for the rest of my life. And then we got a tour. The band got a tour at, at the same time that I booked a play in New York. And I it was like, no question to me that I chose the play. And then I was like, okay, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't go too deep in on this if I'm not willing to see it through. So 2013 kind of was the last time that I really played in a professional manner. But for a while there, I was, I was touring uh, and really doing the thing. There was a band that was signed to Julian Casablancas's label in the city and in New York City. And uh, we toured with like the Maccabees and we're doing a bunch of national tour stuff. And uh, so I got a taste of it. It is not fun. I love playing music. I really love playing drums. I love playing a live show and getting the opportunity to like go be in Chicago and play a sold out show at like the Lincoln or something like that is an incredible experience. But then after your 45 minutes set is over, they throw your drums in the alleyway and it's like February and it's freezing and you got to figure out where your van is. And then you drive for another 20 hours to the next place. Like it was not the light. I have a very soft spot in my heart for touring musicians because that life is not easy. It's fun, um, but it's not, but it's not easy. It's sometimes fun. Sometimes it's an absolute, totally. it's absolute misery. I mean, yeah. Jess and I are pretty heavily involved with like the comedy community and a lot of my friends are comedians mm -hmm. and I feel yeah, same. the exact same way about their lifestyle. It's just like probably more stress than fun, but it's all about that 30 minutes of stage time. So it really is. Mm -hmm. it, it's like the highest high. Yeah. And I've t my comedian friends, the same, the same thing, like playing a good set is the highest high you can have. Playing a mm -hmm. great show where the audience is just eating it up in your middle of nowhere. You're like, this is the best feeling in the world. It's the other 23 hours that uh, are really difficult. And for the people that can make that balance work, I'm really in awe and really respect that. Because um, that's like, that's really, that's really giving yourself over to the art. You know? Do you feel like your musical interests are tied at all to Judaism? Because I always feel like whenever I go to services or, you know, when you're going to Jewish sleepaway camp or like on retreats or whatever, it's so musical. But maybe every religion is like that. I don't know. What's yeah, your, what is your guys' perception of that? Growing up, my dad played uh, guitar and banjo and he would come and like play at synagogue or play for different like retreats when we were really young or play at, in elementary school or something like that. So I feel like my first real connection to live music was my dad singing Jewish folk songs and a lot of Rafi, probably. Oh, Rafi. Uh, <laughs> Rafi. Baby Beluga. Baby Beluga in the deep blue sea. Um, <laughs> and so I get, it's just like, I feel the same way about storytelling in a way. Hearing my grandfather give sermons was like the first theatrical storytelling that I saw. And it's now hard to be like, okay, well, maybe I would have gotten that from somewhere else. Maybe my first musical experience would have turned me on in the same way as my father singing Jewish folk songs. But um, but the, that was definitely the spark of it. So I would say storytelling music um, was definitely tied to it. I, I didn't do like a lot of retreat stuff as I got older. I guess I guess I did some NCSY Shabbat tones. I mean, music was always, I guess, I guess it's funny. I, I never really put that together. That's really interesting. I'm gonna think about it on that for a while. I just always associate like an acoustic guitar <laughs> with like some 17-year-old like, like, Jewish guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of dieted yeah. eyes. Yeah. Just a lot of that. Um, yeah, that's so true. 
That's true. Yeah. It's funny because that kind of, I feel like I didn't get a lot of that. And, it, and it's likely because I didn't, I feel like a lot of that was in college, like mm-hmm. the college age of, of like the Hillels and the, uh, I don't know. I feel like I didn't get a lot of long haired Jewish boys singing on acoustic guitars. <laughs> um, but and now I'm and now I'm sad that I didn't get that experience, you know. How did you it's like a big part of Jewish spend your summers growing up? Did you ever go to a camp or anything? I uh, I didn't go to any of the Jewish camps. I went to theater camp. So when I was oh. eight years old, I started in theater camp at uh, Polka Dot Playhouse in Bridgeport, Connecticut, which okay. was this little theater on an island in Bridgeport. And there was one year, and it was like run by the most one. It was the Hollowell family. They were absolutely wonderful. And the first year that I I was eight years old and. I got the role of Peter and Peter Pan and I had no two front teeth. And I think there was a show where I peed my tights, um, <laughs> if I remember correctly. But the the theater itself was like, you had to cross this crazy old rickety bridge. And there was one year that the bridge burned down and then they rebuilt it. And then I think it sunk because of too much snow. And then I think since then, which is like two decades ago, nobody's like been on that island since. So it's this old theater that just sits there and oh it's probably God. totally abandoned and filled with ghosts at the moment. But I, thought, I did that that theater for years um, and we did a bunch of, you know, summer musicals, um, which was a blast and where I learned, yeah, a lot about theater. I So I'm a huge musical theater uh, advocate and this has nothing to do with Judaism, <laughs> <Advocate>. but what... <laughs> What is your dream? It's musical? time. It's time we talk about musicals. Yeah, let's please. <laughs> and we should like have a segment. Let's talk musicals because I wind up talking yeah. about it all the time. But um, great. What is your dream musical theater role if you had to pick? That is really good. I I have a real soft spot in my heart for Les Mis, oh, and it's just what I grew up. It's like what I really i I got into professional acting because I was in my Hebrew day school, walking through the halls singing Les Mis. And a teacher stopped me and asked me what I was doing. And it turned out that her daughter was in the ensemble of the, I think, touring production of mm-hmm. Les Mis. And she set me up with her daughter's manager, who is still to this day my, my oh. acting manager. And so Les Mis will always be there. So I feel like there's a, like, I would absolutely be in any production of Les Mis. But I don't know. That's a, I stopped singing. I was really paying close attention to like trying to be a musical theater actor. And when I moved to LA, just like I stepped away from, I kind of stepped away from anything that didn't have to do with making Phil of the Future. I, I, cause I had been serious in dance. I'd been, you know, it's like Judaism, dance, voice lessons. I kind of like stepped away from all of it and just stopped. And now my friends who are incredible Broadway singers and have, you know, big Broadway voices, I just can't compete at that level because I didn't keep my voice going. Right. You know, I, they never stopped. And I did. Not that I can't hold a tune, but I can't can't sing like them. Um, so now I find myself to be a big fan of musical theater. <laughs> what was the last which, uh, show you saw before COVID ruined everything? The last show that I saw was not a musical. I saw I had a couple of friends that were in uh, To Kill a Mockingbird mm-hmm. on Broadway. My parents so went. I saw, yeah, it was a beautiful production. My goodness. Um, so I saw that, um, I was supposed to see my friend Ryan, uh, was the first female snow, snow person in frozen. And I just missed that, uh, because everything shut down. So I didn't get to see her do the snowman in frozen, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) I'm trying to think what else I saw that time. We actually, this, this is a Jewish story. I went there with my girlfriend. We were like trying to see a bunch of shows and, I was trying to see To Kill a Mockingbird. We had a bunch of things that we were trying to line up. And we were looking for a play to go see a bunch of friends with. And there was this old 
Yiddish opera that was being done at like the Yiddish Theater of New York down in like like way at the tip of Manhattan uh, and like by the Staten Island Ferry. And so we took like 10 friends to go see this Yiddish opera <laughs> in this small theater in Manhattan. And I don't want to give it a bad review, but it wasn't like a big Broadway musical that you all expect. <laughs> Although I did see um, uh, Jagged Little Pill. I think oh, that was yeah. the last big musical that Ooh, I saw. Alanis Morissette. Jagged Little Pill that, but... was amazing. It was, it's truly, it's like the best version of a jukebox musical. It's the right way to do it. Uh, and I had friends in that production as well, and they all just killed it. It's just a beautiful production and show, and they did a, a very good job with that. Oh, that's the beauty of living, well, that was the beauty of living in New York. I feel like in LA, we miss out on a lot of great live performances. Although I will say, the last thing I did before the world shut down, and I'm not a musical theater person at all, was see the Book of Mormon. And I oh, was sure. like, should I should I not go? I feel like things are getting kind of sketchy, but I really want to go. It's supposed to be really good. And then like the next day they were like, no theater, no movies, go to the grocery store and buy as much toilet paper as you can. And I'm <laughs> yeah. so glad that I did that before. Yeah. Like I can cherish that experience. Oh, that, that reminds me, the last play that I saw was actually in Los Angeles is what the constitution means to me which was oh, at I saw, I love the Mark Tabor. It was amazing. And now they have, I think, Heidi's version who wrote it and started it in New York. It's I think it's on Amazon now, um, which is a great election cycle play to watch. We'll it's, to uh, it yeah, it's it, yeah. it really you saw it. You saw it at the taper. I did. Yes. And yeah. I had no idea what to expect. And it was like really, I mean, I love politics, so it really resonated with me. But yeah. I thought it was incredible and definitely I think it's great that it's available to the masses. Everyone should check it out. Yeah, totally agreed. So I guess that was the last time I was in a theater. Uh, Raviv, I have to tell you that you had a tweet probably in like, I want to say 2012 at this point that wow. I think about every time I go <laughs> to New York City or like anytime oh I'm gosh. home. And it's just like stuck with me so hard. But you just tweeted, New York smells like everything. I don't know if you even remember <laughs> tweeting that, but I was just like... That's a perfect tweet. I completely agree. And I think of you and that tweet every single time. I, I am so anything. moved. The power of a tweet. Uh, right. That's very <laughs> sweet to hear. I think I was actually, I stepped out into like the 23rd Street exit off the NR. And it was, there was like, I think it was winter. And so it was like that winter colder New York smell, but also like hot peanuts and, and like a pile of garbage. And like a Chinese food restaurant. And it was like, literally, this is every single smell in the world is on this corner in New York City. And I fucking love it. I miss New, I miss New York. I, I feel very, I feel very fortunate to not have been stuck in a small apartment through quarantine and really feel for all of my friends who stuck it out in the city. I really, um, I feel for them and admire their tenacity. Um, but was happy to be on the West Coast where we had a little bit more space to, to yeah. kind of stretch our legs. But I cannot wait to return to all of the smells in New York because it's it's really my favorite place in the world. <laughs> oh, me too. I miss traveling and being free and not having to worry so much. But I know we'll get there eventually. We'll, we'll go back to normal. Somehow. Yeah. I feel like we might be longer away than we hope for. But um, yeah. I mean, they, they just announced, I think, theater doesn't come back until now. Now the push date was June of 2021. So we're going to be in a weird state of affairs for a while. But 
it's really interesting where it's pushing. I feel like for artists, it's be, it's been pushing people who don't have outlets, you know, people that aren't in animation or aren't, you know, are in specific spaces to like really seek out what they are capable of and what they have inside them, what stories they mm -hmm. want to tell. And it doesn't feel like a healthy way to do it. But, um, you know, I likely wouldn't have started a podcast had this not happened. And not, not that I'm looking for the the bright side at all, but it's been exciting to see what, you know, all the people that have not had their usual outlets artistically, like where they, what they do with that energy. Before we finish, can you share quickly what, a little bit what your podcast is about? Yeah. Thank you for asking. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's called the study. Uh, and I, I hear that it's hard to f search for so that maybe the, our naming strategy wasn't great, but if you search for my name, it, it's there. And it's myself and Rabbi Adam Greenwald from American Jewish University. And we basically break down each week's Torah portion and try to apply it to today's uh, life, which it, it's been incredible to see. Like there's all these interesting nuggets of wisdom and storytelling. Um, and I just look at it as the part of this being a part of this book club that's existed for thousands of years. And it's a book club that like you can apply it in any way that you see fit. And that's been really exciting. So it's Rabbi Adam and I, and we just bring in on a different guest every week to discuss, like to use the Torah portion as a launching pad. We're not pushing Bible by any means. We're really using it to start a conversation. Um, so this week's episode will be Maya Bialik. We're going to start the whole Torah sheet with her. And then we have, cool. uh, yeah, it's gotta be pretty cool. She's, she's, do you know that Maya Bialik has a PhD in neuroscience? She's like I insanely smart. But Crazy. That still shocks me. And I, it's still incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. Talking about, you know, it, the Torah starts off with two totally opposing stories that uh, are completely incompatible. And uh, we talk with her about how we can hold different things to be true. And how do you balance something that might not make sense at first glance? Um, and doing that with somebody who is a practicing Jew and a neuroscientist it was fascinating. And then uh, we have Dan Kwan, who's an incredible director and leans towards atheism. Um, and then we're going to have a pastor on. And so it's not cool. our guests are all over the map in terms of religious background and belief. And yeah, just looking like if there's been thousands of years of wisdom that have been based off of this one book, can we take from it today and and that and allowing ourselves ourselves to ask really, really big questions without any promise of any answering at all. And I think that it's something mm -hmm. that in like in today's world, we are all seeking answers for so many different things. And sometimes it's really nice to be given the opportunity and the privilege just to say, just ask the questions and see where that gets you. Uh, and that mm -hmm. practice has been really, really exciting. I'm so excited. Thanks. I'm so excited for your for that uh, for that episode that sounds incredible thanks yeah we got to do yeah. we'll have to do some crossover episodes we'll have to get you We're guys here. on yeah. to kind of talk come talk to her i love that cool. it's funny i was looking at the top like 60 or 100 religious podcasts on apple podcasts and one of them is jewish so i was like there's definitely a there's need a <laughs> for yeah well, for more podcasts about other religion yeah and that's that's why i i i because i had said before i i was we've been doing Shabbats with friends and I started giving little Devar Torahs and I was looking for reading material and, you know, I was looking for a podcast that I could listen to on a Friday morning and hear something about that week's Torah portion and then be able to impart that to friends and have that discussion. And there actually wasn't one. A lot of synagogues will like release their sermons after Shabbat. They'll record them on, on Shabbat and then, and then release them afterwards or, um, or things tended a little bit 
towards the Orthodox, mm-hmm. um, or it was like two male Orthodox rabbis talking. I'm like, that's not exactly what I'm looking for either. And so mm-hmm. in uh, in the void that was left of some, something that I was looking for, we just decided to, to create one. That's, I mean, that's what it's all about. Initially, yeah. Jess and I were, uh, upon starting this podcast, we're kind of like, oh, should we do a Torah portion of the week? And then we were kind of like, let's leave leave it to someone who has more like education <laughs> and like a little bit. That's not me. Maybe a more rabbinical <laughs> background because <laughs> so it's we kind been... of just settled on this like cultural fun mess. <laughs> I think this is great. I think there's space for all of it. And I really appreciate what you guys are doing because it's definitely that it's been a part of my journey too, is, is figuring out where religion fits into my life, whether culturally or, uh, or other and how I both can use it uh, you know, ha- yeah, how I can use it. I think that's, that's something, at least for Judaism, that's been really exciting is it's not just, here's what you do and here's how you have to do it. And the way that I grew up was not in blind faith practice. It was in questioning and questioning everything. And, uh, and I think that that space leaves a lot of room for all kinds of discussions, um, this one very much included. So thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for joining us. This has been awesome. Agreed. Thanks again for joining us for Aviv. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Raviv Ullman. And definitely check out his podcast, The Study. Highly recommend. If you're a fan of Pray For Us, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, definitely remember to click the subscribe button. Don't forget to rate and review us. We love compliments and nice things, but we're also open to constructive criticism. Follow us on Instagram at PrayForUsPod or email us at PrayForUsPod at gmail.com. All right, that's it. Shabbat Shalom. This podcast has been mastered and mixed by the one and only Josh Fisher. Yay, Josh. We love you, Josh.